Hello, I'm Marco Zaza. And I'm David Zaza. This is Concertina Died and Other Stories of the East Side. Over the years, whenever our family was gathered around the dining table, I would tell stories about growing up on the east side of Youngstown, Ohio. These are fond memories of my youth, of my Italian immigrant parents, and of the shared experiences of family. I hope that some of the pleasure and the sense of the past that I get from telling them comes through in this podcast. It's so tempting to think that fate has plans for us, that certain coincidences or bits of good or bad luck were predestined, and that the resulting circumstances of our lives were simply going to happen no matter what had come before. But I know from my own experience that some planning can alter the future, or even simply that a single, simple decision can change the direction of your life. As a young man living in New York for only a few years, I had a job I wanted to quit, and I diligently looked for a new one for well over a year. When I found it, it was in a field I had no direct experience in, in a company I wasn't sure was even right for me. But over 25 years later, I am now an owner of the company, and my career has been a successful one. And while Marco's story today deals with the specifics of his experience in the Army, That period was just one stepping stone along the path of his life. In our conversation that follows the story, Marco confronts a number of what-ifs. What if he had stayed in college? What if he had stayed in the army? What if he had moved to California instead of New York? It turns out that fate had no plan for him at all. He built the structure of his life one step at a time, not always without regret but with the deep satisfaction that comes from learning how a purposeful decision can be the most rewarding one. You're in the Army now. In 1958, after leaving Ohio University, well, actually, I was asked to leave due to poor grades, I enlisted in the Army for a three-year hitch, which was a better alternative than living with this disappointment and the wrath of my father. But my fears were alleviated, as before I left, all was forgiven, and everyone thought military service was a good idea. There are two memories of the early days of my time in the service which are indelibly impressed in my mind, one comical and one sad, but both rooted in cultural misunderstanding. After basic training, I was sent to Fort Sam Houston, Texas, for X-ray technician training. Upon my arrival... I immediately wanted to call home to let my parents know I had arrived safe and sound. Money was short, so I made the call collect. I still remember my mother's phone number, Riverside 71810. The call resulted in the following short conversation between the operator and my mother. Operator. I have a collect call from Marco for anyone at this number. Mama. Marco no home. Marco in a Texas followed by an abrupt hang-up on the home front. I asked the operator to please try again, which he did, and which garnered the very same response. Marco, no home. Marco in a Texas. Followed by another hang-up. 
I asked the operator to please try again and, if possible, to let my mother hear my voice. The operator didn't think she could do that, but agreed to try again. As soon as Mama answered the phone, I began speaking over the operator's voice, and Mama heard me. She only said okay to the operator and immediately began telling me someone had called twice for me, but she told him I was in a taxa. The operator let the call go through. I didn't try to explain what had transpired, and Mama and I had a nice conversation. After my training was over, I was sent to Illesheim, Germany, assigned to the 536th General Dispensary as an X-ray technician. That is where I met my good friend, to this very day, Tony Piana. Tony quickly introduced me to the three local watering holes, or Gasthauses, in English, guesthouses, in the tiny village. This was still only 12 or 13 years after the Second World War, and Americans were using German bases to house our troops, so many German nationals were not very happy to have us there, feeling that we were corrupting their young women and gloating over the outcome of the war. One night, as we sat in one of the Gasthauses with Tony enjoying his beloved German beer and me sipping some very good German wine, I was approached by a slightly drunken German man, pointing his finger at me and yelling, Juden raus! Well, I had enough German in college to understand this. He thought I was Jewish, and he was telling me in no uncertain terms to get out. I was horrified at this, and of course frightened. Sadly, the upshot was that Tony punched the man, and we left as quickly as possible. I never had another bad experience like that for the remainder of my tour of duty in Germany. In fact, the next 15 months were some of the best of my life up to that time. I'm in the army now. Yes, you are. So, Dad, let's go through this in order, because this is a really rich story. And it was set in motion by you leaving college after one year, which listeners will remember we talked about in last week's episode. But I never really heard about the interim period, about how you made the decision to go into the army. Well, I was disappointed that I left school, left college. But my father was not only disappointed, he was angry with me. One morning... When I got up, I went down, and he wasn't speaking to me at all. I went into the kitchen, and I poured myself a cup of coffee. My father was sitting at the table, and I sat down, and he got up, and he took the cup of coffee from in front of me and poured it down the drain in the sink and said, you don't say good morning to your own father when you come in the room? And I said, what's the point? You don't answer me. And he said, I don't have to answer you. I'm the father and you're the son. Okay. He was angry. He left the room. He came back in and he said, I'm going out now. And when I come home this afternoon, I don't want you in this house. So I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? So I took a bus and I went downtown. And I went to visit my friend Mary Simone, who worked for the draft board. Uh-huh. I told her what had happened, and she said, I don't know how to advise you, but if you don't enlist, you will be drafted because you're not in college now. So I thought about that for a few minutes, and I said, well, how do I enlist? 
And she gave me the name of the sergeant that she knew. She told me where to go, and I went. And I talked to him, and I told him that I wanted to do something important in the Army. And he said, how about X-ray technology? And I said, that sounds good to me. And I signed up. Wow, so this decision was made in one day. One day. And that morning, my father told me he didn't want me in the house anymore. He didn't want to see me again. And that same day, I made the decision to join the Army. So I went home, and I told my mother, and she said, you're not going. You don't have to go. Your father didn't mean that. And I said, well, I already signed up. It's too late. And did you explain to her what Mary had told you about being drafted? No. I didn't want to involve anybody. I wanted it to be my decision. Even though I had help in making that decision, I wanted it to be my decision. And that's how I ended up in the Army for three years, because I enlisted. And if you got drafted instead of... Two years. But you get drafted, you do whatever they tell you. Right. You had a voice in choosing what you were going to do. Right. I had... I picked what I wanted to do. So... After basic training, I did. I was sent to Fort Sam Houston, Texas, to become an X-ray technician. Okay, but let's not skip ahead because all right now the men in our immediate family, me and you, yes, not very athletic. No. So how was basic training? Where was basic training? We skipped right over that in the story itself. Well, basic training was at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and. Not being an athlete and not caring that much about athletics, it was a little hard for me, but not impossible. Well, yeah, you're a young man. I was young, and most of my basic training was marching and learning orders and uh, long hikes, which I could do at the time. didn't bother me to walk a long distance. But there was a ritual at the mess hall where the sergeant stood And there was a a high bar, and he said, you have to do 10 pull-ups or whatever before you can go in and eat. (laughs) Well, I couldn't do pull-ups because I didn't have upper arm strength. So he said, okay, then you have to give me 50 push-ups. Well, that took arm strength too, and I couldn't do 50 push-ups. I do 10, maybe 15. I don't know that 50 was the requirement. might have been 25. It might have been 20. But I never reached the goal that he wanted. And he was a prick. I hate to say it. But he was. (laughs) Well, that was his job. His name was Heilemann. He was a German... No, all right. (laughs) We're recording, so I shouldn't say anything. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) eventually he would let me go in and eat. After you gave it a lot of effort, I suppose. He knew I gave it effort, and he knew I couldn't do it. so. So that was my basic training Pretty much. And that was like 10 weeks? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Eight weeks of basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Then I received orders to go to Fort Sam Houston, Texas for x-ray technology training. And that's where we pick up in the story with the funny phone call. Right. And how long were you in Fort Sam Houston? Uh, 14 months, I believe. Oh, a long time. You know, just a lot to learn. So 14 months there, you were in Germany for... About a year and a half? Exactly. Now, you talk about arriving in Fort Sam Houston, and this is when you have this funny call home. Still to this day, I can remember this call. I can remember my mother's voice. I can hear it in my ears. I didn't think anything about calling home collect because I knew that my mother would accept my call. Well, she didn't. Well, she didn't understand. (laughs) She didn't understand the operator. 
when the operator said he had a collect call for anyone at that number from Marco. She understood it was a call for Marco, yeah. and she said, Marco no home, Marco in a Texa, and she hung up. Yeah. So wait, did you not call home collect when you got to Fort Knox or when you got to Germany? I didn't call from Fort Knox, and I didn't call from Germany. Because between Fort Knox and Texas, I had a furlough. I went home. So they knew I was okay. And then I went to Texas, and now I wanted her to know, I wanted my parents to know that I arrived in Texas. And then what about Germany? It never dawned on me to call home from Germany. I wrote a letter, probably. All right. So let's talk about the second part of the story. I like how you frame it at the start that one event is funny and one is sad, but that they're both rooted in cultural misunderstanding. So now you're done training, you're in Germany, you meet Tony Piana, which we'll hear about more in another story a few weeks from now, and you're out drinking, and one of the locals assumes or thinks that you're Jewish. And Well, I think it was more than that. I think it was more the fact that we were Americans, and we were in their homeland, and we had won the war, and they hated us, so they didn't like the idea that we were there even. So he approached me and told me to get out. Yeah. No Jews allowed. Well, yeah. I mean, Judenraus was a rallying cry that was on posters and signs. And exactly. And I had studied German in college, and I knew what Judenraus meant. So it was a little traumatic for me. Sure. But Tony was a fighter and a, a cocky kind of a guy. And so he actually decked the guy. And he had the weight of the U.S. Army behind him. I mean, I would assume that the Army didn't want its men punching the locals. But I also assume that right. given what was said and how it unfolded... They would protect us. Yeah. We left in a rush, and we probably never went back to that guest house again because this guy might still be there. <laughs> but, yeah. but there were several other guest houses that we could go to. Right. So... Okay, but now, aside from the obvious political ramifications of losing a war and rebuilding after all that destruction there, did you have a sense there in West Germany of the politics of East Germany being this other thing that had been created not long before? Actually, I did not. We were pretty secure in our half of Germany. I gave very little thought to the other half of Germany and what was going on there. As far as I knew, Russia was our ally, so I thought they took their fair share of spoils of the war, and that was that. I really, honestly, never really thought about East Germany. And it never really came up in the cultural conversation with the locals you met, or... No, it did not. And I was, uh, I had a lot of contact with the locals, civilians, because... Because of the work. Because of where I worked in the, in the dispensary... The doctors were all civilians. The nurses were all civilians. German civilians. German civilians. And my assistant x-ray technology person was civilian. I was in charge of the department, but she was my assistant. Right. Now, at the end of the story, you say that not only did you not have another bad experience, but that the 15 months you were in Germany were really some of the best of your life up to that point. So what was it? What made it such a rich experience for you? I formed a close relationship with a young woman and with one of the nurses who was a married woman. She was older than me. She was a married woman. She had children that were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And they showed me another side of Germany 
their home life, their celebration of holidays. So I had like, I was with these people for Christmas. And when I was missing my own family, and I was part of their family, and I tried new foods that they made, German foods, which I had never, and I ate in restaurants. They, they took me with them to restaurants. So they were good times for me. I, they helped alleviate my missing home because I could hardly wait till the end of my tour because I wanted to go home. I wanted to see my family. Of course. And were you speaking German with them? Did they speak any? They all spoke English. They all spoke English. Even back then. Even back then. And in a small town? Yeah. Well, Ansbach wasn't so small. Ilsheim was a small town, but I didn't stay in Ilsheim. I was sent to Ansbach. And that was a large dispensary. It was like, uh, I think, 48-bed dispensary. So I, I had pretty good duty. Like I said, I formed this close friendship with the German civilians, and they invited me to their homes. They took me to restaurants. I became friends with their children. So, And did you stay in touch with any of them after you left? I didn't, because I left Germany. I came home. I wasn't home for very long, and I moved to New York. Started a new life. Right. So you didn't email them or anything? There were, <laughs> no. I don't think there was any email at that time. <laughs> if there had been, I probably would have stayed in touch. Now, I know that you were kind of anxious to come home, but did you ever give any consideration to just staying in the Army? I did. I thought, this isn't a bad life, and I could re-enlist for another four years. And, of course... I wrote to my other mother in the United States and told Martha what my plans were. And she said, absolutely not. (laughs) When your time is up, you come home. (laughs) And you did as told. Well, I thought about it and I thought, I really don't want another three or four years of this. I wasn't happy being away from the family. Mm -hmm. Although I was not unhappy, I was... I was in a state of mind where I didn't want to be there anymore, and I didn't want to take orders anymore, so I resisted all attempts made upon me to re-enlist, and I came home. And you consulted Martha? She helped you resist. (laughs) She did. She did. And what was your reception upon coming home? Well, I got discharged in New Jersey, and... Two other soldiers and I took a taxi to Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, I took a plane to Cleveland, Ohio. I couldn't get anything to Youngstown, Ohio. And I called my brother, Nick, who was living in Cleveland, and told him I was coming, and could he pick me up? And he called my sister Martha and said, Mark was coming home. He wants me to pick him up, but it costs money to go to the airport for gas. So she said, go pick him up and I'll send you the money. I landed in Cleveland. He did pick me up. He took me to their home. I stayed overnight there, and then he drove me to the bus. When I got to Youngstown, my father was waiting for me. And this is the man who would not say goodbye to me when I went to the Army, when I went enlisted three years earlier. Wait, he never even said goodbye? Was he mad that you enlisted? Yeah. He, well, he was still mad at me for, being, for not finishing college. The morning I left for the service, my mother stood in the doorway and said, you're not going anywhere if you don't go in and say goodbye to your father. And he was still in bed. Uh So I went into his room and I knocked on the door and he said, come in. And I went in and I said, I'm leaving. I'm going into the army. 
and he said goodbye and he turned his back on me jeez my mother was satisfied because i said goodbye to my father and i left okay let me get this after basic training you went home before going to texas and at that point was he because you have this photo I yeah everything was okay that, everything was okay then then he was proud you, you were in right. uniform and right he was right he got over right it. And I get off the bus, and there's my father waiting for me. And I'm expecting to see other family members. And he said, while everybody's home, they're waiting for you to come. And he said, I looked very nice in my uniform. And he took me out to where his car was parked, and it was a brand-new Pontiac fire chief, big white boat. And he said, do you want to drive? And I said, no. <laughs> God forbid I would drive his car and do something to it. Anyway, we got in his car and we went home. And then, of course, my mother was there and Martha and Palma and Jerry. And that was my homecoming. And your mother had made a big dinner. Oh, there was yeah. like a, First she like said how skinny I was. Uh. <laughs> then she, then when I unpacked my duffel bag, she said, oh, all these clothes are so gray. They're not white. And so she boiled everything. <laughs> and she made a big dinner, and, and I was home. And then I know at some point shortly after this, you go to a wedding and meet mom. And then you move to New York. But... What about in the meantime? I mean, what was the plan? Well, my plan was to go back to college. Only this time I would live at home and I would go to Youngstown University. It wasn't Youngstown State at the time. It was just Youngstown University. I actually went and enrolled and bought my books and got the classes I wanted. And this time I was going for a teaching degree. Three weeks into the beginning of school, I received a notification from the government that I was being reactivated and I would have to report to Fort Meade, Maryland because of my MOS, which was x-ray technician. And that's when the tanks faced each other in Berlin. So I go back to the school and I say, here's what's happening. And they say, too bad. Too bad. We cannot give you your money back. And I had to sell my books. Now they were used books. They were brand new. I had yeah, hardly yeah. used them. I know. But I had to sell my books for half price. And then a week later, I get a second set of orders canceling the first set. Oh. So I go back to the school and I say, I don't have to go anymore. And they say, well, you have to wait till next year, next semester, whatever. I was in limbo. I didn't know what to do. So I decided I'm going to California. Uh, okay. And my mother is saying, you're not going to California. And I'm going, but, but what am I going to do here? But what are you going to do there? I was going to look for a job. And I didn't want to be at home anymore. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, now you're a grown man. Right. And I knew that if I went to California, I wasn't in the Army. I could come home whenever I wanted. In the meantime, Frankie Labasso got married. And I met Marie. And I said, I don't think I'm going to California. I'm going to New York. Because she encouraged me. Who encouraged you? Marie did. <laughs> your mother it wasn't a flat no it wasn't a yes either come don't come it was like if you come yeah i'll, I'll see you when you get there i'll meet you <laughs> she met me at the airport and so i i ended up in new york instead of california instead of in the army for another tour of duty and within that year i got married you know i never heard this part of the romance you flew to new york yes and mom met you at the airport yes 
And her father was there with her. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to see the young Marco Zaza in uniform, check out the photos on Instagram or at conchettinadied.com. Thanks to my sister Stephanie for helping me shape the conversation for this episode. The story and the memories, of course, are all Marco Zaza's. Next week, Marco takes off from his army base in Germany for his very first visit to Italy, where he meets his nonna Zazza. Quindi prepara la valigia, Marco, e ti parlerò la prossima settimana. <laughs> <laughs>